So over these Sundays in Advent, as we're preparing to celebrate the Lord Jesus' incarnation, we're looking at the opening chapters of Luke's gospel, where he records in greater detail than any of the other gospel writers the events surrounding Jesus' birth. With very purposeful design and, and, and detail, the gospel opens with two angelic appearances, bringing two very unusual announcements of two unexpected pregnancies to two unlikely women who give birth to two unprecedented children, all that brings about one unparalleled event in all of history, the arrival of God's promised Messiah, the birth of the Savior of sinners and the King of kings. And last week we saw a, a, a silence that was broken as God, who had not spoken to his people through either a prophet or through an angelic messenger in over 400 years, sends an angel, the angel Gabriel, to an old priest named Zechariah, serving in the temple in Jerusalem. And he announces the birth of a son to him and to his barren wife Elizabeth in their old age, a son who would be named John and would go, would go on to become the herald of the coming Savior, a prophet sent to prepare the people for the arrival of the Lord. And this, this connection between the, the Old Testament promises of God and the New Testament fulfillment of those promises continues as Luke records a second appearance of Gabriel. This time to a young virgin in, a, in an obscure town of Nazareth who is engaged to a, a descendant of David named Joseph and who happens to be related to the elderly Elizabeth who is now pregnant. And, and the intentionality of Luke and thus the intentionality of God who inspires his words in making this connection is evident as we, as we compare and contrast these two events. In bringing to a close the, the, the old covenant uh, promises of God, Gabriel appears to this elderly priest in the temple and he announces this miraculous birth to his barren wife and he says his name will be John. He says he will be great before the Lord he says he will, he will go before to prepare a people for the Lord. And Zechariah responds with, with skepticism and doubt and is therefore silenced by the angel. And then in the opening of the new covenant era, Gabriel appears again, this time, as I said, to a young engaged teenager in a, in a small insignificant town. And he announces an even more miraculous birth to come to this virgin by the power of God's spirit. And he says, his name will be Jesus. And he will simply be great. Not great before the Lord, but great because he is the Lord. He will come to rescue and reign over God's kingdom forever. And Mary responds with humble faith. And as the Lord's servant, she is blessed. And so what I want to do this morning is to walk through, again, this, this very familiar passage for many of us and notice the blessings of God on Mary as she receives and responds to what is, in essence, the first proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Luke tells us that this second appearance of Gabriel takes place in the sixth month. Well, the sixth month of what? 
If you go back two verses before, you remember Elizabeth conceived and, and kept her pregnancy secret for five months. And so now she's in her sixth month and Gabriel comes with another baby announcement. And this time to Nazareth, to a virgin named Mary. And he says to her, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Right away, we find that Mary is blessed by God's grace. She is blessed by God's grace. Mary is a recipient of grace, not a bestower of grace, as the greeting has come to be misused in the, in the Catholic prayer of Hail Mary. She is a recipient of God's grace. But Mary herself is troubled by this greeting. Not so much troubled at the appearance of an, of an angel, which probably troubled her as well. But we're told that she was, she was greatly troubled at this saying that she had been given. We're not told why this disturbed her, but perhaps it was a bit of incredulity that someone like her would actually be addressed in this way. Oh, favored one. We know from her, her song, which we led, her song of praise, read earlier, her song of praise, that she was of humble estate. Perhaps her first response is to, is to hear what the angel says and kind of look around and thinking, are you sure you're talking to me? Are you sure you mean me? But God's grace is not dependent on our station in life, nor, or, nor on our merit in life it is freely given and Gabriel reiterates that to that to Mary by saying again don't be afraid for you have found favor with God you have been had grace bestowed upon you by God God is the initiator here he has chosen to to show his favor to show his grace to show his blessing to this young girl with his presence and his power in a way that she nor anyone for that matter could ever have imagined. And so it begins with God's grace. The blessing of God's grace. And that's where the gospel always begins. It always begins with grace. God's revelation of himself in Christ is a gift of grace. It comes to us unexpectedly. And it is given to us freely. Such that, that we might at first think, this can't be. <laughs> this can't be that God would, would, would show grace to someone like me. Or it, this can't be freely given in this way. We might say, why me? And the answer is because God has chosen to bestow his favor upon you and upon me. His grace on you. It has nothing to do with you per se and everything to do with him. Paul reminds us of this in Ephesians chapter 1 where he says, In love, God predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the gospel, excuse me, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us with. That's the same word there that the angel uses here. Which he has bestowed his favor upon us in the beloved, in Christ Jesus. And so God begins by, by blessing his servant Mary with grace. Just as he begins with us in the gospel to bless us with his grace. 
And Gabriel then goes on to tell here the result of God's grace to Mary specifically, and that is that she will, she will be blessed with God's son. He says, you will conceive in your womb, you will bear a son, and you shall call him Jesus. And he goes on to say, this will not be just any ordinary son. He says four things about this child to her. He says, first, he will be great. As I said before, not, not great before the Lord, as he said of, of John, but he will be greater than John. He will be great in and of himself. No modifier there. He will be the great one. He will be the almighty one. Second, he says he will be called the son of the most high. Later on, he, he elaborates on that for Mary. He will be holy, called the son of God. He will be divine. Third, he will be given the throne of his father David. He will be human, a, a descendant in the line of David, a king to reign on the throne as promised by God to David. And fourth, he will be eternal. He will reign over God's people forever in his eternal kingdom. And so Mary is listening to this, and again, her, her mind is thinking on these things, and she's, she's considering her own condition, and she says, again, she asks a very logical question, how will this be? The angel says, this is what's going to be, and she says, how? <laughs> how will this be, since I am a virgin? Unlike, unlike Zechariah's question we saw last week, which is a, was a question of doubt, which sought some kind of sign to, to, to prove that what the angel was saying was true. Mary's question is not one of doubt, but simply one of seeking to understand, seeking, seeking understanding of how these things will happen. What she is wanting to know is not whether this will happen, but just how it will happen. And she obviously understood that Gabriel was not talking about a child that perhaps she and her fiancé Joseph might later conceive in a natural fashion after they were united in marriage. She understands that what's being said here is something extraordinary. Something divine is taking place and she can't understand it. She wants to know how. And Gabriel's answer takes us right to the very heart of Christianity. Right to the very essence of the incarnation and God's promised redemption of sinners. And that is the virgin birth, or better, we might say the virgin conception of Jesus. The virgin birth is attested to by both Matthew and by Luke. And it's attested to from both the perspective of Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, and Mary, and it is the explanation for Jesus being both divine and human, both fully God and fully man, as we confessed earlier. Gabriel reveals to Mary that she would conceive not by the will of a human father, but she would conceive by the power of the Holy Spirit who would come upon her. That the power of God would overshadow her, would surround her such that, that, that she would conceive, not, not in some physical, sexual manner like the myths of pagan gods which have intercourse with humans. This is the, the power of God to come upon her and she will find herself with child who would be holy and be called the Son of God. 
The continuity with God's promised Messiah is stressed in, in Gabriel's opening words about the baby being, being fulfilling the, the, the promises to, to David and, and the promises of God's covenant. But the discontinuity is that this child will be of divine origin. And it's stressed in the explanation of Mary's pregnancy. So Jesus would derive his humanity and his messiahship from Mary. He would derive his sinlessness and his divine nature from the Holy Spirit who overshadowed her. He was descended from Adam by his birth. But he would also be constituted as the new Adam by the creative work of the Holy Spirit in his conception. And so Jesus was both Mary's son and Jesus was God's son. He was both human and divine. He was both the Davidic Messiah and the sinless second Adam. He was an, uh, his was an utterly unique birth in all of history. And God chose to do it this way. And as we consider this, we, we see that the virgin birth is not a, a, it's not a disposable doctrine. It's not, an optional, it's not optional in terms of, of our understanding and embracing the redemptive work of Jesus He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and he was born of the Virgin Mary. It is what underlies those those great words of the hymn, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. So Mary is blessed with God's grace and secondly, she's blessed with God's son. And in order to overcome any doubt about this, God in his grace also blesses Mary with his assurance that this will happen. He gives her a sign of sorts by by telling her of Elizabeth's pregnancy in her old age. You see how God's weaving these threads together in an amazing way. We see his providence and his sovereign purposes coming together in having the miracle of John's birth already preparing for the miracle of Jesus' birth. By having Elizabeth be a, a, a relative of Mary's, the news of her pregnancy, the news of Elizabeth's pregnancy, would give Mary assurance of what God is doing, as Gabriel notes. Give her assurance that, that nothing is impossible with God. If God can, can uh, bring Elizabeth in her old age, barren for many years, To conceive a child, how much more could he do what he's promising to Mary? Mary would know Elizabeth's age. She would know, perhaps, of her lifelong struggle with being childless. And now, upon hearing the news that that she who was barren is now six months pregnant, she would know that God can and will indeed accomplish what he says he will do. That, That tangible assurance that God is sovereign and he is at work Fulfilling his promises to his people results in Mary's humble response to the angel. She submits to God's word saying, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And at that, the angel departed. Now just think for a minute at this point. You can imagine how Mary must feel. She's got to be overwhelmed. She probably now has more questions now than she, than she uh, had before and, and that she has answers to. She's going to face incredible challenges as she considers the implications of, of being pregnant out of wedlock. 
She knows that her life is only going to get harder as a result of this. That she will, she will experience shame and perhaps rejection from her family and, and her community. And yet, she is committed to God's purpose and to trusting his will and to trusting his way. Because he's given her assurance. And she responds to him in faith. So God blesses Mary with his grace. He blesses her with his son. He blesses her with his assurance. And that insurance turns into another blessing of encouragement for Mary. There's not much that is as encouraging as, as being with someone who has gone through or is going through a similar situation or experience that you are going through. Think about it. When you're, when you're dealing with a, a, a struggle of some kind, to, to get together with someone who, who knows what, what, is, what you've been through is often a great encouragement. And certainly for pregnant women, some of the most encouraging times is when they get together with other pregnant women and they can, they can both commiserate and celebrate what God is doing in their lives. And so Mary, having heard that Elizabeth is pregnant, likely wanting to escape the scrutiny and shame that would come in Nazareth when her own condition came to be known, she quickly packs her bags and she heads out to Zach and Elizabeth's place for a visit. And there she is greeted in a manner that must have encouraged her heart and must have, have uh, strengthened her faith. She walks in, she greets Elizabeth, who immediately experiences what is, what is described as a leap from the baby in her womb. Now, I've heard of babies in the womb moving around and getting more active when they hear the, the voice of uh, a familiar sound of a mother's voice or a father's voice or something that, that, uh, that um, is familiar to them. But here, John jumps for joy at a voice he's never heard before. And Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, explains why that is. He, she says, blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. As far as we know, Mary hadn't said anything at this point. <laughs> Except, hey, Elizabeth, how are you doing? And all of a sudden, Elizabeth's like, look who's here. Look who's here. You and your baby are blessed. And simply by your presence here, now me and my baby are blessed. And then Elizabeth confirms what Mary had already been told by Gabriel when she says, Why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Elizabeth calls Mary the mother of her Lord. Mary, the child in your womb is God. Again, Elizabeth, I mean, Mary hasn't shared at this point that she even saw an angel or anything that the angel had said. And Elizabeth doesn't come to this conclusion on her own. She doesn't see some kind of glow on Mary's face and say, oh, you're pregnant. I can tell. The Holy Spirit reveals this to her. And before Mary can say anything, Elizabeth prophesies as true what Mary had already been told by Gabriel. And John, who's only six months in the womb, is already stepping into his role as the forerunner of Jesus by doing a little jig in, in Elizabeth's belly to let her know that one who is greater than he is coming on the scene. 
And then, as if to encourage Mary even more, Elizabeth says, Mary, you are blessed because you believed that God will do what he says he will do. You're blessed because you trust God. And that leads to the last blessing we see in this passage. Mary is blessed with God's grace. She's blessed with God's son. She's blessed with God's assurance and his encouragement through her cousin Elizabeth. And lastly, Mary is blessed with God's salvation. Mary's response to all of this is to, is to break out in praise in what has come to be known as Mary's song or, or the Magnificat. And the first thing she says is, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Mary praises God for his saving grace and that grace is manifested in the, in the Savior that she bears in her own womb. Again, there's no biblical warrant for, for Mary being seen herself as sinless. There's no, no biblical warrant for her somehow being a, a co-redemptrix with Christ. She very clearly here acknowledges her own need for a Savior. And she rejoices that God has looked upon her in her, her humble estate, in her lowliness, and has shown favor to one who has nothing to offer, so to speak. She says, he has done great things for me. And he has shown mercy to his people just as he promised to Abraham and to his offspring. And that mercy would come through Abraham's offspring that is now implanted in Mary's womb by God. And he will bring salvation to his people and blessing to all the nations. Brothers and sisters, Mary truly is the blessed Virgin Mary. She is blessed and indeed, as she says, all generations will and do call her blessed. But it's not because of anything in her, so to speak. She is blessed because of God's favor upon her. She is blessed with God's grace. She is blessed with his, to bear his son. She is blessed with the assurance of his power to do anything that he says he will do. She is blessed with encouragement through her family. And she is ultimately blessed with God's salvation through the birth and ultimately life, death, and resurrection of her son, the very son of God. Indeed, we might say that Mary is the first to hear and to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. We hear very little about Mary following the birth of Jesus. Her life and her role as his mother played out for the most part, behind the scenes. <laughs> but we know her love for and her impact on her son were great. Because the next time she shows up is at the cross. The cross where Simeon had told her so many years before, after she gives birth to Jesus, that her soul would be pierced with a sword also, like his. A sword of grief as she watches her son and her savior pierced with nails and suffer death on the cross. Some of Jesus' final words were to commit his own mother into the care of the, into the hands of the disciple John. Another blessing from the Lord, even in her darkest moments. 
But that darkness would again turn to light as she would see her son rise again from the dead. And the blessing of God upon Mary would become the blessing of God upon all who would humbly submit themselves to God's word and to his will in Christ Jesus. Through him, those who believe find favor with God and are blessed with his grace. He humbles the proud, but he exalts the humble. Through him, those who believe are blessed with with the indwelling of God's Son, now by his Spirit who lives in us. Through him, those who believed are blessed with the assurance of God's power to do what he says he will do, to know that nothing is impossible with him. He who begins a good work in us will be faithful to complete it on the day of Christ Jesus. And through him, those who believe receive the encouragement of God's family in the body of Christ, fellow believers with whom we can walk the difficult journey of life and be encouraged in our faith and rejoice together in God's blessings. And through him, those who believe receive salvation, the forgiveness of sins, the gift of eternal life, with our care and our provision committed into the hands of the King of Kings who promises to meet every need according to the riches of his glory. So a silence is broken and a servant is blessed through whom, as we shall look at next week, a Savior is born. And brothers and sisters, the good news and the gift that Mary is is given by Gabriel is the same good news, the same gift that you and I are given and that we rejoice over at this season of the year at Christmas. A son who is great. A son who is called the the son of the Most High, who has been given the, the throne of David and who is reigning even now over his kingdom, which will never end. And so the question for us is, have you received that gift? Will you receive that gift will you trust him in the manner of that young teenage girl from Nazareth behold I'm a servant of the Lord let it be unto me according to your word and brothers and sisters as we trust Mary's son our Lord and Savior Jesus he promises to bless us far more than we could ever imagine And so therefore, let us rejoice with great joy in God our Savior. Let's pray together. Father, you chose to enter this world in a way that is utterly unexpected, utterly incomprehensible in many ways, and yet in a way that is utterly necessary for us to know your grace, to receive your salvation, to live in your power. And so, Lord, we pray that even now you would give us ears to hear and receive your blessings the blessing of your Son, Jesus. And Father, would we be those who, like Mary, rejoice 
in the Lord our Savior and proclaim your goodness to others. And help us to remember, Father, that your blessings aren't always just keeping us from hard things, guarding us from pain or suffering. In fact, they come as you call us often to enter into hard things. None harder than what you asked of Mary. And so God, I pray that we would, like her, submit ourselves to your will and to your way, knowing that you indeed will pour out your blessings upon us when your son Jesus comes again. And we pray this in his name. Amen.